Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. I want to say that Pastor Darren and Tracy are probably one of the very few finest pastors I know. See? See? Now, you believe that, don't you? So don't believe that what he says about me where you don't believe everything he says. Because you believe that. And truly, our friendship has been dear. Um, I, 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 I may have changed a diaper or two when I first went. And Sam and Isaac were born. I can't remember um, a little bit. I've been married 37 years, 30 happily. And we have three children. <laughs> I'll be real here. No. I have three girls. They're all in their 30s. And, and so I miss them dearly. I return home tomorrow. But there came a time in my life that I almost felt like I might miss them forever until eternity. And this year marks the 10th anniversary of what I call a cancer scare. In 2007, uh, there was a lump on my hand. And so I went in to have it examined, and they thought it was just a routine lipoma or some kind of a lump. It, it, it was benign. They said, these things, these tissues, they happen all the time. I went into Queens Hospital, and it was an outpatient procedure, and, but it, it was significant enough that they put me completely under, at least they thought they did. They did not anesthetize me enough, and so I heard everything the doctors were saying, the surgeon was saying in this supposedly routine operation as he was conversing with the anesthesiologist. I was, I, I was asleep but awake, and it's like you saw in the movies. I heard everything. And trust me, you don't want to hear everything when it's not a good report. And essentially, I'll, I'll, I'll just boil it down this way. They said, ooh, this looks like it could be cancer. It might have hit the bone, and if it did, it's not good. And I can't wake up. It's a nightmare, except it's a real living experience. So make a long story short, after I got up, I explained to them what happened. Of course, that's a potential lawsuit. All right, so I saw the fear and the backtracking. And it would be one month before I would know the outcome. Let me give you the journey because it relates to this message this morning. They examined the tissue they took, but it was not enough. And they were very honest with me. And they said, this really looks very ominous. And so they said, in about two weeks, we're going to have to cut your hand open again. They cut from the front to the back. It was massive. And so uh, they said, then when we cut again, we're going to take a look. And if... We don't want to cut so much that it will metastasize the tumor, because if it does, you're done. Uh, I'm thinking, oh, wow. Okay. The voice of the surgeon brought the voice of fear to me. Because all of a sudden, you do see your children. You do see your wife. And you, you, you see everything you've taken for granted that could be taken from you in a moment. Except I knew that God was faithful. He was in control. And if I wasn't finished on this planet, that not the voice of a surgeon or a fear would rule the day. But I knew I had to find faith that I had taught about and preached about all my life. And so I did. 
As your pastor teaches about journaling, about reading through scripture, why you have the notes in your hands, it's very important that when you articulate, write, process verbally as well as in writing, truth goes into your soul and stays there. The retention and the activation potential is much, much greater. So Pastor Darren and I have a a regular habit of devotional scripture processing and reading and all of those things. And so it just so happens as I was praying leading up to the next operation, I came across just systematically through the Gospels that, that situation where Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. I had read that hundreds of times before. And it just leaped out to me. It just was quickened. Stretch forth your hand and it will be made whole. And I did it. I was, I was, I was having my devotion and I was, it was quickened. Now you can ignore this if you just speed read. But I wasn't going anywhere. I just had surgery. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of too medicated. So I told myself, I better get off of this stuff. Okay. So I stretched forth my hand and I said, Lord, I claim your healing. I believe this is your voice to me. It's the word of faith because I'm afraid. But I'm going to take the word of faith over the voice of fear. Well, two weeks passed. I went back into surgery again and they said, Okay, we went a little further without touching the bone. And then I had to wait another two weeks for the results. I mean, it's an eternity. What do you do there is you draw really close to the Lord. And you have to dig deep because you realize God's given all of us a measure of faith. But you've got to tap into it. And we rarely do unless there's a crisis. And so the report was, well, it's still inconclusive. (laughs) I said... Oh, God, you're going to cut my hand open again? This time, they had a team of surgeons. And so when I went in, they said, well, we're going to go all the way in because we have to. And this is a risk. And whatever we find, I realized I may come out of there without fingers, without a hand, without part of my arm, or it would be a prognosis of finality, potential finality. Because once it hits the bone, pretty much, it's over, barring a miracle from God. I remember being wheeled in, holding on to that word of faith, having prayer added to it. And then, you know how they have you count down? 199. I remember having the sense of peace going in there. I think, well, Lord, you're in control. I read in your word that you are faithful. You are sovereign. You're providential. And you know how you go to sleep. And I remember waking up thinking, it's over? It can't be over. The first thing, of course, I wanted to do is look if I still had a hand, still had an arm, how much of that arm. I mean, you know, your, your mind goes there, right? And I remember waking up. All I saw was this big club, you know what I mean? This big thing they had wrapped up. Because this is the third operation. He looked at me. He says, it's there. I said, okay, great. Then they had to test the tissue again because they got all of it now. Another 10 days goes by. All the while, I realize I'm getting really close to Jesus because nothing else matters. These are the moments where sometimes you realize Jesus is all you have. And then I got a phone call. How many of you know 
when you get a phone call to come in from a surgeon, it's usually not good. If it's good news, they'll tell you. So I'm going into the hospital. I'm walking in, but I have faith. I realize I have peace. And the voice of faith has trumped the voice of fear, the voice of the surgeon in that initial operation, that conversation. He looked at me as the best hand surgeon in Hawaii. And this guy has no bedside manner, none. I don't believe he was, I don't believe he had the capability to smile. (laughs) And I sat down and he threw me this container across the table. And in it was rattling this, this chunk. He says, that's your tumor. He said, and I have good news. I thought to myself, will you, will you please inform your face? <laughs> Lucky thing he wasn't hearing my conversation. Okay, bro. And he says, this is the quote. Norman, you are one in a thousand that this wasn't cancer because we were absolutely sure. And I said, God, you are so very faithful. There is faith in us that won't be activated unless there's a crisis, unless there is chaos. I'm, I'm sharing this story because this, is the, this year marks the 10th anniversary of that month of infamy. Well, Jesus has a, has a conversation with a Roman centurion in the gospel of Matthew. We know that Jesus came to earth primarily to minister to his people, the Jews, who would then express the glory and divinity and identity of God to the rest of the world. We know this, that his primary focus was the Jews. But in truth, Jesus would respond to faith. And he finds faith of, in of all people, a Roman centurion, a soldier, an official who has rule over cadres of 80 to 100 Roman Roman soldiers. And we know that the Romans were oppressors of the Jews. They were not the favorite people of the Jews who were under the rule of the Romans. But this, this centurion is desperate. And interestingly, it's not for himself. It's for his servant. Quite interesting. And, and scripture says, when, he, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. This is Jesus. I will come and heal him. Hmm. To this outsider, he's going to treat him like an insider. The centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, am, I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. He marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He's telling his disciples this. Not even in you have I seen this kind of faith in you that I expect to find greater faith. I find great faith in this Gentile, this outsider. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, this outsider, this Gentile, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed, as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. To my point, we often come to God and find faith in the face of crisis. When things are normal and we're successful, nobody really thinks about God. We may tip our hat to God. We may point to him when we score a touchdown. All right. But listen, 
No one really taps into life-changing faith unless there's chaos, a crisis, out-of-control out of moments. And for this centurion, this was an out-of-control moment. He says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Wow. And the result we find was an astounding miracle. He said, only say the word. Only say the word. If it were me, I would say, Jesus, come to my house. If Jesus said to me, if he said to me, I will come and heal you, I would say, oh, bring it on. <laughs> yeah, bring others too. Bring the motley crew that follows you and say the word and pray for me. How many of you would be like that? Come on. And the, the fact that the centurion said, oh, no, only say the word from a distance. And my servant will be healed, not might, not might be healed, not may be healed, will be healed, stunned Jesus. Which leads us to our next point, and that is this. The embrace of grace unlocks the face of faith. It's the embrace of grace. That, look, it's the centurion replied. This is the conundrum, the contradiction. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. So here he is. He knows he's an outsider. He's a Gentile. He knows he's the enemy. He says, look, I'm not worthy, but, and this is the incredible thing, but I have faith to believe that from a distance you can aim a word of faith and my servant will be healed. And Jesus is like, what? That's really what it is. He said, what? I said, I've been looking for faith in my own disciples like that. And this soldier, he's like, oh, okay, what's the whole deal here? It's grace. We are saved, we know that, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. It is demonstrated at the cross to us. They had to look forward to it because Jesus hadn't died yet. But it has nothing to do with how we behave. It has nothing to do with our performance. It has nothing to do whether, whether we've been naughty or nice. And inside of this unregenerate centurion was a God-planted faith that he gives all to all of us who are made in his image. Our faith is flawed. But when the Holy Spirit moves on somebody, that faith emerges. And it usually emerges, usually in the face of adversity or challenge or crisis. And then we find out how faithful God truly is. So... You may feel unworthy. You're hard on yourself. You think God doesn't want to touch me, heal me, provide for me. He doesn't want to give me a breakthrough because of everything I've ever done in my life. If people only knew. And that's why I'm stuck in this situation. I'm not deserving. That's the voice of the enemy. That's the voice of the surgeon in Queen's Hospital. He's going to die. He might die. It's cancer. It's fatal. You don't want to know what I heard on the operating table. And some of you have been listening to the voice of fear rather than the voice of faith. And I'm here to tell you today, well, the Lord, I believe, is using me to tell you today, it ain't over till it's over. There's a faith level, a faith potential in you. A portion, that word measure in Romans 12, 3 means a portion, a God-given portion, beyond even a mustard seed. 
that you can activate and it has nothing to do with how you've lived. There's something marvelous about this. Now, you can have faith, but it's the exercise of faith that captures God's attention and his favor. It's the exercise of it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such great faith. Listen, how many of you would like to have Jesus say about you, I marvel at you and how you believe. I would like my wife to tell me that. I would like Pastor Darren to tell me that. Norman, I marvel at how you believe. I marvel. I just just before I die, I say, oh, can Pastor Darren say, Norman, I marvel at your faith. I mean, so Jesus, I mean, his disciples are probably going, what? Guys, don't you, don't you realize the Roman Empire and these centurions are our enemy? They oppress us. They collect things from us. They abuse us. They say nasty things about it. Teacher, how can you say you marvel at him? And Jesus is saying, look at how he believes. Simply, simply believes. He's found a deeper faith because his servant is suffering. And pain has surfaced that which is even in you. But you haven't activated yet yet. And that's all of us. See, ever since 2007, my faith has been at a different level. Because I realize what Jesus says and the Holy Spirit says trumps what everybody, what everybody else says. Even that voice that speaks to us on the inside that says, you're not good enough. Remember what you did. Remember who you are. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. It's not about what you did. It's, it's, it's everything about what he's done and what he's accomplished and what he's finished you on the cross. But you have to tap into that. And that's a choice. That's a veritable choice. Why is that important? Why was Jesus marveling? Scripture explains itself. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Look at that again. My study of Scripture, and your pastor can correct me when I'm gone, over 40 years, I've realized this. There's only one thing in Scripture that pleases God. It's faith. And you don't really exercise a deeper faith until you're challenged. When things are going well, when things, when, when things are going normal, when things are successful for you, you sort of have a saving faith and a living faith. But a greater faith and a deeper faith is only activated because of human nature when there is a challenge that comes that puts you out of control. Think it not strange, Scripture says, for the fiery trial that comes. And there's a far greater purpose and a far greater plan that God has and a far deeper perspective, a broader perspective that God is architecting in your life when he allows certain things to happen. That's the conundrum. And when those things happen... Look to him, draw close to him, and listen for what he says, because he is speaking. Trust me, he is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? And he knows this. He knows that in crisis, we listen the best. And let me, let me just bring this down to a finality today. When we truly choose to believe, God then truly chooses to move. When we truly choose to believe, 
God then truly chooses to move. Let's revisit the passage. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And do the centurion. Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is a, this is a theological contradiction. What Jesus is looking forward to prophetically, eschatologically, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. After his return, as a celebration, a marriage feast of all those who have professed faith in him and live for him. What Jesus is saying is simply this. Those that you expected, the insiders to whom were given the scriptures and the history, the Jews, the insiders, churchgoers, religious people, they won't be there. What instead you'll find are those outsiders who became insiders because they simply chose to believe. They chose to believe first in Jesus by faith as Lord and Savior. But secondly, they lived in faith. They walked by faith. And Jesus said, he's basically saying, you're going to see outsiders in there who became insiders. And it'll surprise you. And the insiders you expected to be there, they'll be outsiders because they were pretenders. When crisis and challenge and adversity comes your way, what is your response? I can tell you when I was on that operating table hearing the conversation of the surgeon with the anesthesiologist, I understood what fear really feels like. Because I realized this was life and death. But God allowed that because it taught me how to find the voice of faith. And that is what Jesus marvels at. This past week, I'm going to do something I've never done before. And it's this. I'm going to show you about a 10 to 12 minute video clip. In our church uh, is, a, is, a, is a developer builder named Troy Crossan. And he's leaving now because he's with us. He, he's, a project is finished. He built up the crown jewel of Hawaii's tourist industry is the international marketplace. It's about a billion-dollar project. He drove it. Um, what you need to know about Troy, uh, he was the driving force behind Dallas's Super Bowls in the 90s. He convinced Jerry Johnson to hire Jimmy Johnson. Of course, that marriage ended badly. But anyway, Jimmy Johnson's ability to recruit talent was the difference. Troy Crossan was full of himself, very successful, on a fast track, with big money, in his 20s. Until literally, faith was ignited through adversity and potential tragedy. And I introduce to you Troy Crossan as he tells a little bit of his story. So take a look. Now you can look at the big man on the screen. I had a condo, I had cars, the more money I made, the better looking I thought I got, the more girls I could get, I was invited to Hollywood to come and be in the movies, so that's where I'm headed, God had a change in plan, on a Saturday afternoon about 4.30, I was helping my cousin remodel his house, and I was spraying this lacquer, And all of a sudden, in an instant, in the blink of an eye, the house exploded. 
So I don't know any of you that have ever been inside of a bomb, but what happens is, is all the molecules come together and then explode out. That was me. When that happened, fire came out of my mouth about six feet. My lips started popping and boiling. You see, as growing up, it was all about choice. I just put Jesus on the shelf. The very first word out of my mouth was Jesus. I was propelled up into the attic. They calculated that the, that the flame had gone 300 feet in the air. It blew a 25-foot hole in the roof of this house. I was knocked up into the attic. I hit this board and then knocked me back down into the fire. Well, being raised in church, Scripture talks about there being a lake of fire. In that instant, I thought I was in the lake of fire. When I landed on my feet, my hands really hurt. And I don't know how to explain that any more than just extreme hurt, but my skin began to drip off like hot wax off a candle. So I looked at my hands, and I started shaking like this, and my fingernails fell off. Then I looked down, and my chest was starting to sag. All the skin from my nose started running. The, ears, the skin from my ears started dropping down onto my shoulders. I was melting like a candle in this burning house. Critics would say that I was blown out. I say that God lifted me out. When I landed outside in the driveway, I fell on the ground, and my dad was there, and he started putting out the fire. At that instant, the pain was so intense. I started screaming, getting up, crawling, trying to get away from this intense pain. And if you have no skin, you're leaving blood and fluid and burnt flesh and burnt clothes and you're just trying to get away from this pain this torment and it's not like unlike us today whatever you may be going through you may be trying to yourself by yourself trying to run away from something i made it across the street and i laid on my back and i told my dad i said tell my mom i love her but i'm fixing to die he started crying and praying and said, no, you're not going to die. So I'm going to step out of that for a minute. I always thought that these people that had these outer body experiences were kind of whacked out. <laughs> thought they needed to be in a mental institution. While I was laying in this tattered, burnt, broken body, I had an, an experience. I was lifted above the tree line, and above me was what you can imagine in your own mind heaven being like. Calm, secure, heavenly. And when you look down below, it was like the world is today in chaos. The house that exploded was burning. The people were running around screaming. The police sirens were going, the, the, the fire trucks, the ambulance. And you can see this black, tattered, burnt body. I was sucked back down into the body three different times. Well, during that time, obviously I didn't know it at, this, at that particular moment. But scripture talks about intercessory prayer. My uncle was studying for church on Sunday. 
and he tells us that he had this need and burden to pray. So for three hours he prayed. He left his office. He went home. He told my aunt, he said, I'm sorry that I'm late for dinner, but I just had this burden to pray. And she said, I had the same burden. A few hours later, they get a call from a family member telling them that they had started the the, uh, funeral arrangements because I was not going to make it. When I was sucked back down into this body, I was taken by ambulance to a nearby hospital. I remember the doors being open, and this is what the doctor said. He said, we cannot treat him here. He's too burnt. Take him to Parkland. He's not going to make it. So I was in an induced coma for about three to four, two to three weeks. During that two to three week period, I had what I call the good nurse. And when I say the good nurse, I mean she was beautiful. We talked. We talked scripture. We talked heaven. We talked how to live your life. But you see, I couldn't see. I couldn't hear. I couldn't talk. I had swelled up three times my original size. My mother didn't even recognize me. The last thing she said to me was, I will see you in heaven someday. So as I came out of the coma, the doctors had taken all the skin from my legs, put it on my chest, my back, my arms, and my hands. And when you wake up in that type of atmosphere, you hear people screaming, you hear people crying, wailing, and you're wrapped up like a mummy, and you're just hanging over this bed. Your back is barely touching it, but you're just hanging there, and you are burning. And I'm not talking just a little bit. The, and the pain is so intense, they would give me 22 milligrams of morphine, and it would last for about 10 minutes. And they would do that every 46 hours. So I'm going to take you through just one day. In the mornings, they would take us over to the Iron Cross. And it's a cross that's just a steel table that looks just like a cross. And... When you have no skin and you have no, nothing to hold the, 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 the uh, fluids in and the blood in, when you look at yourself, it's just pink. And all this gauze is just a scab. So they put water over you to loosen that up. Then they cut all the gauze from your whole body. Then two nurses begin to peel, pick, and scrub all the eschar. What that is, all your scabs. And then it's a type of infection that gets, starts to get in to your, into your muscles because you have no skin. And it's like sin. If you allow one little piece of sin to get into your soul or into your heart. But they scrub me, and it took two hours for two nurses to scrub me, and I'd be screaming, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. And they would go, he's helping you, and they'd be crying, but we're helping you too. 45 minutes into this scrub, 
your body just cannot take the pain and you just pass out. Then you wake up in your bed twice a day, every 12 hours. So being raised in church, on church drugs, I knew all the scriptures. I knew all the hit words. So I said, God, kill me. You said in here, in here, you would not put more on me than I could bear. I can't bear it. You said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. You left me. Kill me. Let me die. So for weeks and weeks, I did nothing that the doctor asked me to do. Matter of fact, I started getting gangrene in my legs. So the hospital is real segregated. And I had, there was three men in my room. And one guy that was over here, he had a burn on his face. And so they had made this white plaster Paris mask. And he had two little slits for his eyes, two little holes for the nose, two little, uh, little slit for his mouth. And you could hear him over there. He would just be cussing and he'd be screaming, wanting a cigarette, just all kind of stuff. Just, he was really annoying, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm over here, poor pitiful me, remember? I'd put Jesus on the shelf. It's all about what Troy wanted to do, when Troy wanted to do it and how Troy wanted it done. So as a parent, if you're asleep, I know that you've, you feel his presence and you wake up and it's your child and they're crying or they're, something happened, bad dream, and it scares you to death. You jerk and your heart goes to pounding. So I'm laying in there and my eyes are closed because you want to be as still as possible. And remember, I told God, just kill me. I don't care. I'm already in hell. Let me go to hell. I don't care. Just get me out of this situation. So I was laying there one night, and I feel this presence, and I wake up, and it's that white mask right there. And, man, I jump like this. I thought God answered my prayer. (laughs) But I said, what in the heck? do you want? And he said, I want to know about this Jesus character. I said, I don't care. No, really. I, I, I really, I said, well, why? He said, well, every night you talk to this Jesus guy and then you go to sleep. Really? You don't know anything about Jesus or God? No. So I briefly explained it to him. Did I want to tell him no? Did I care at that time? No. It was all about me, right? And now I'm hurting. All my scabs had broken up and they started dripping blood. And it was just a mess. And I said, well, just, just, so now I wanted to get him out of there. And I said, just go over there and pray. He walks halfway across the room and he turns around and he goes, but I don't know how to pray. I said, well, just talk to him like he's your best friend. Just don't cuss him out. (laughs) So he goes over. He lays down in his bed. He says the most simple prayer that you'll ever hear. And instantly, he's asleep. Matter of fact, he starts snoring. (laughs) Now I'm mad. 
because I'm burning again. I'm just, oh, I'm just, I can't believe that this is happening to me. The next day, he gets released from the hospital because they had finished the clear mask. He brings over the white mask to my mother at the, in the foot of the bed, and he asked her to write down many scriptures as she could on that white mask. He said, I will hang it in my room because I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. At that minute, I started crying. Of course, my mom's like, oh, what's wrong? What, you know, you're already hurting, but what, what? I said, no, it's in here. So I told my mom that I'd been asking God to kill me. I hadn't been doing anything that the doctor said. I said, but if what I've gone through is to allow one soul to be saved, it's well worth it. That's Troy. He's become a dear friend. Let me give you the the context. He was in the hospital for a year and a half. He was burned 48, he had third degree burns over 48% of his body. Along the way, a minister he still doesn't know of had faith to believe for his healing. That's why his face looks really great. It's remarkable because actually his nose came off and his ears came off. He was burned. But if you will see him on, uh, open his shirt and everything, you'll see all of the scars and the skin grafts. Shortly after he was released from the hospital, his church sent him to Russia because the wall had fallen. Remember when Reagan told Gorbachev, tear down that wall? Well, the doors were open because the gospel had a free road in. He went in. Even though he was still recovering, he had bandages, and he says, look, this is for a purpose. That salvation experience changed him. He realized there's a larger reason for suffering. He went into Russia and he was greeted by a seven foot six inch guy who proceeded to grab him, throw him in a chair and said, look, we are in need. But if you are lying with your story, I will kill you and no one will know. Tore off his shirt, looked at his body, dropped to his knees, wept and got saved. They opened the curtain and Troy said, oh, my God, there were 10,000 Russians wanting to hear the gospel he said almost all of them dropped to their knees after he told this little story with the gospel scripture attached and ever since then although he's a businessman that gets into countries that are difficult to this day he's the undercover brother he goes in there and he and he shares the gospel and his story and people get saved At the end of next year, he will retire from his business and he will full-time go in as a consultant for infrastructure development, but to preach the gospel. And of course, Sony and, and different ones now are putting together a movie to profile his journey. And if Troy were here today, he would tell you, there is a greater purpose, a deeper faith, and a larger story that God is still writing in the midst of your agony. Father, thank you that you've given us the capacity to believe. And as Josh leads us in this song, we reflect as we worship in how faithful you are.